This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello and welcome everybody back to Talking Flutes with me, Jean-Paul Wright, Claire, in, if you're watching this on video, in the top right-hand corner, and underneath Claire, if we're doing this correctly on Zoom, is our guest for this week. Now, there's so much we can say about this guy, but we're not going to say anything because two words says it all, Mike Mower. Welcome, Mike. Hello, hello, guys. Hello, Jean-Paul and Claire. Nice to see you after quite a while. Yeah, it's, quite a while, Mike. Yeah, from, it's from me, yeah. Indeed. So we, we're hoping to sort of um, chat to you about all your, your performances and compositions and your life up to now. I, I, when I was trying to look up some information about you, we both left college in the same year, which was 40 years ago, which is a bit scary. So why don't you tell us a bit about, I mean, was flute your main instrument? Well, yes, yes, it was. Um, it's funny. I, I went, I went to the to the academy, Royal Academy of Music, um, and studied with Gareth Morris there. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. And um, yeah, f- funny old chap. He was a Victorian guy. I don't know how many of you people know him. He was uh, a man from the past, and he kind of he kind of acted older than his years somehow. But he, he was quite nice. Very formal chap. I had to go and say, yeah. "Hello, Mister Moa. Hello, you know." Uh, and we used to sort of shake hands and. I turned up a minute too early, he turned me away and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I studied flute with him there, which is great. Um, but funny enough, I mean, almost immediately after sort of getting to music college, I, I was absolutely loved it. It was the best year of my life getting out to London. I kind of realised that there was a little bit more I, I wanted. And um, I sort of dabbled in the saxophone a little bit. And I just bought myself one a couple of uh, years ago, before that, should I say. I hadn't really done much with it, just sort of taught myself a bit. And um, much as I enjoy playing in the orchestras and, and, and that, so I, I, you know, I, I had this little nagging thing, jazz thing sort of uh, going on on me. And so um, I kind of, I got the saxophone together. Well, when I say got it together, I, had to, I wasn't allowed lessons there. You couldn't do that at the, at the academy in those days. No, you can now. And uh, you can now. I know the whole world has changed. You can do all sorts of things that we couldn't do then. But um, no, I wasn't supposed to play the saxophone. So... Whenever I walked past Gareth Morris, he was, he was blind in one eye, this, this chap. I always used to walk on, on, on the left-hand side if I had the saxophone, so he never actually saw it. I think he did actually rumble, rumble me once because he actually turned up to one of my gigs, so that was, uh, that was a fair cop. But, um, yeah, so I just started out doing, doing all, all the, you know, the, the straight classical things, and, um, uh, but started listening to jazz a lot, and um, that, that kind of took my interest. Quite a bit, really. Before then, you had no sort of jazz education or anything. It was all oh. self-taught. No, no, no jazz education. I don't. I don't think it even actually existed back back in well, not 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 in not in Britain really back in those days. Um, so it was very much a self-taught thing. But um, I mean, going back before that, I I started playing the flute. I suppose how old was I think I was twelve before I started playing flute. Eleven or twelve, and. Uh, I was taught by a clarinetist, uh, nice old chap. At, at so was I. Were you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's quite. It's a funny story here, actually. So um, I, I kind of bumbled along with this chap, and uh, when I got to the age of fifteen or sixteen, perhaps it was, um, I, I didn't know how good I was, and so uh, went went to the uh, the Royal Northern College of Music to, for a preliminary advice audition with Trevor Y. I don't know. I mean, I actually I'm quite a good friends with, with Trevor now, but um, I, 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 you know, this story, he basically sort of said, you need to go away and take up mining. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, not in many words, but pretty much. He said, no, you, you know, your, your fingers are all over the place, your wrong fingerings and, you know, go, go away and um, don't ever think about it again. So so that was that was a reason for me to actually just think, right, well, I'm, I'm going to uh, contradict what he said. And so uh, I actually got got um I went back to school and I managed to get, get a, a, a teacher called Frank Wilson, who's, you probably, probably won't know, uh, again, a really old chap, retired, he was in his 70s. I think he used to play in the, in the BBC Welsh Orchestra, really nice guy. And um, he played Rudel Cart flutes, and so did I, by the way. And uh, 
I went along to him uh, for one lesson a week. So I, I yeah, I sort of learnt the, the classical thing with it. He, he was he was great inspiration, and so I managed to blag my, my way into the into the Royal Academy, you know, after being helped by by Frank Wilson. Um, but as I as I say, I so I, I hadn't really done very much. Just played in the school orchestra, mm. and and a couple of sort of lo local local things, past some the orchestra and what have you. So I, I I'm not, I'm not I didn't have a great musical education. My parents weren't musical at all. But my my mum liked the idea of me playing, so shoved a recorder at me when I was eight or something, and, and, that, and that's how it went on. And, and it's progressed the saxophone. So I mean, I suppose my my musical journey is 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 just been kind of like fumbling around in the dark, trying to you know and, very successfully. Well, it's, it's it's kind of you to say that. I mean, it takes takes <laughs> it's taken a while, you know. And I've gone on different avenues I would never have thought. I mean, you know, it, it's funny. After uh, you know, very much enjoying playing play in the in the symphony orchestra at the academy. I was I was lucky enough to actually in my first year to to be principal flute of the of the second orchestra, the the repertoire orchestra, I think they called it, or something. Were you at the academy? No, no. But I knew I knew people there. Yeah. Yeah, but I always had this this uh, this jazz thing, and I, I think I had put put my my energy into that and I, I listened to a lot of records and transcribed things like Charlie Parker solos and that and, and, the, and, uh, and they actually had discs, you know, good old discs at the academy there and I used to sit down in the listening room and, and sort of work it all out because it, it was it was very much sort of do-it-yourself, the whole jazz thing. I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know, know now really and sort of gradually got into that and by the time I left the academy I'd sort of started up a big band there and, and um, uh, my own, you know, own thing. Uh, with that and went on and luckily we I won a few competitions with 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 my the Mike Boa Quartet it's very boringly called and um, that, that the saxophone quartet then was that the flute quartet no, no that, that was no that was that was a jazz quartet it was with mm. tenor sax bass drums and, and piano so okay. I think really by, by the time I had left the academy I sort of I decided I was going down the jazz route yeah and were you did you start composing then at the academy uh, I think when when you start playing jazz, comp composition is all part of it. I mean, improvising. Improvisation. Yeah. Jazz, I mean, I think that the two are hand in hand. I mean, it's impossible to be interested in jazz and not compose. You know, I mean, compose is a big word. I, I know I, I I shy away from it sometimes. I don't I don't like to think myself as a composer. I just think I I write music uh, because you know I've, I've never formally had a lesson in my life of of, of composing. You know, it's it's all just been through osmosis and, and um, absorbing things, listening, stealing ideas and and all that, that kind of thing as well. And try, a lot of trial and error, really. Well, so, it's worked out very well. Well, yeah, it's, again, I mean, I really never thought myself as, as any uh, being a writer, which is probably what I do most mostly now, really. But um, in answer to your question, yes, the, the jazz thing took me in, into writing just sort of little tunes for a quartet and what have you. And um, then I gradually got my, uh, I would add people to the band and I had different, different size ensembles. And um, I was lucky enough, to have a, a lucky break actually. There was a, a program called Jazz Club on, on BBC Radio 2. Uh, and the chap heard, heard me, the, the, um, the producer, and he got me to do quite a lot of broadcasts um, for, for this program called Jazz Club, they would have two live sessions uh, a week. I think I did about eight with all different sized bands, starting off with a quartet and a sextet and and a whole big band I had as well. And that but kind of like got the name In terms out. of that though, Mike, was that with music that you'd arranged or yeah, how did you do that? Yeah, I, I never, never did any covers. So it was it was always you know, quite basic compositions really for, you know, for, for a quartet, I say, you know, a quartet, it's such a tune like a head with yeah. um, with, with improvising, you know. I mean, how yeah. difficult could it be? You know, a few chords and you all, you all kind of improvise on it. But it, it went from, from from that to bigger ensembles, to sextets and, uh, and all, all sorts of things. And, um, and it's funny, and, and other people started asking me to write for them, which was very exciting. And so that that kind of took me through, I suppose, the, fir the first sort of, Decade or so after 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 leaving the academy, but I was, I was also playing. I, I used to, to play a lot as well, and I, I used to do shows, West End shows. So I, I used to play play in, in Cats quite a lot. I used to dep for a guy called Morris Cambridge, who was a, 
a luminary of uh, of the West End, who anybody <laughs> will, will know, I'm sure. Very nice chap. And um, yeah, I, I used to, yes, used to, to dep, deputise in, in quite a lot. So I, was, I, was, I kept the chops together. And um, by that time, I, I'd got the saxophone uh, together pretty well as well. So, so I was okay with the doubling thing, which, uh, which I still try to keep up now. And when did Itchy Fingers start? So, yeah, Itchy Fingers is a saxophone quartet. Mm. We're, funny enough, just going back to what I was talking about the BBC, I, I had, a, a, had a, a, a broadcaster, and they, they asked me to represent the BBC at the, um, what, was, what was it called, um, the European uh, Radio Night. I'll think of the right name in a minute. Basically, basically all, all the radio stations in Europe have a, have a festival, or they used to back back in the day, and each each one of the national radio stations would put put forward a band. And uh, BBC very kind kindly asked me to to put my uh, octet as I had it at the time, which was four saxophones and uh, piano, bass, drums, and, and percussion. So we went and did that. It was it was um, went to Zurich and. Uh, uh, play played there at this great big festival, which was really nice. All courtesy of the BBC, flown out business class. Doesn't happen very often. Wouldn't happen now. <laughs> Wouldn't happen in a day. No, no. They would have to walk. But um, anyway, so uh, and they had the four saxes, and, and then I kind of listened to that and uh, actually think, why don't I just get rid of the rhythm section and keep the four saxes? So I did that and um, started writing some music for the saxophone quartet, which which um, was quite intricate, but had improvising as well. And uh, we went uh, went to this this competition um, that they had the, the, again the BBC actually a couple of years later in 1986 I think this was and the BBC had um, a competition called Jazz Sounds 86 and it was like an it was a national competition um, and they had uh, for, basically to for a band to you know to win the prize and so they, they had uh, different um, regional contests and finals so it'd be the west of england and all over the place and um and you'd, you'd have to compete to, to to get into it and luckily you know we, we had a couple of um, auditions against other bands and i was itchy fingers the sax quartet was chosen to, to represent london in the national finals and so we we did that and uh cut long story short we won which was which was brilliant so so um we won like this whole national uh, tv competition and uh, they had some really nice uh, guys like Joe Zavinal. If you know him from Weather Report, he was one of the he was one of the the judges, and he was he was really nice. And the next day, Virgin Records rang up and said, "Hey, do you want a record deal?" <laughs> so like, what <laughs> a record? What? And um, yeah, so it was great. And so so I uh, did a couple of albums on Virgin Records, and we also uh, we, we were sent had lot, the phone started ringing, and we went to play at the North Sea Jazz Festival in. <laughs> Which is quite quite a big do actually, and I, I, um, we met some there with like Flora Purim, and um, she asked me to do some stuff for her. Things started uh, to to snowball a bit, which is great. We got to be got an agent, and started doing all the all the the club circuit basically all, all around Europe, which, um, which I have to say was probably a lot better than we have in in England uh, in Britain at the time really. Kept you busy, didn't it, at that time? It was very busy, and um, yeah, we were, we were toured. I think we toured. Um, I think it's forty-eight countries uh, over the space of twelve years, which the the band Itchy Fingers was going. Yeah, I mean, it was it was terrific. I mean, also, we um, there's there's an organisation called the British Council, which is the um, it's like the cultural arm of the Foreign Office, and they, they promote British culture around the world. And um, I think uh, in Germany they have the Goethe Institute. And uh, France, they have, I can't remember what it's called, but it's, you know, a few countries have these things. And uh, we are very lucky to be sent all around the world um, by the British Council as well. It was terrific. But uh, they don't send you to, to ordinary places, like ordinary as in they wouldn't send you to Berlin or something like that. They, it, we, we, we toured all around um, South America. We went to Brazil and, and uh, Peru, Venezuela. Uh, we did the Soviet Union as it, as it was then. Uh, we even went to Romania under Ceausescu. That was that was fun. Wow! Yeah, being followed everywhere by men in in, in, in brown jackets. That that was great. See, I rem I, I, I remember Itchy Fingers as being complexity personified. Mike, everything was very tight, but so complex to the listener. Yeah, well, well, that's that's nice to say, but also if you say it sounds complex to the listener, maybe that's not doing its job properly. But. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I, yeah, it was. It was very, very highly scored. And um, I, was, I was really on a roll writing it. A couple of other guys in the band did write some stuff as well. John Graham and, and Howard Turner, they, 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 they wrote some stuff. Um, but it was kind of mostly me. And it, but it looked like great fun, but you can still see videos on YouTube and it just looked huge fun. And you also played flute. We did, yes, I did. I mean, we all did, actually. Uh, we, we're all doublers. And um, we, oh, I did a piece where we all played four clarinets and we played four flutes. <laughs> and uh, we would, uh, I played mostly, mostly tenor saxophone and later on baritone, but we'd swap instruments around as well and do that. And it was, it was great fun. But, but I mean, the, the, the beauty of that was because we were so busy, you know, playing sort of every night for, for weeks on, on end, which is a great privilege, we learned all the music from, by heart. So obviously that's 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 um, a terrific thing to do when you when you can uh, we had I think we had about three and a half hours of music that we we could do, do from memory. Fiendishly difficult. I mean, there's one thing. There's a piece on YouTube which I can't remember the name, but it is so tricky, and you're whizzing around, and I'm yeah. thinking, and I was thinking, well, they're not using music; they're just going for it. It was incredible. Well, we were using music. I mean, there's no, there's no mystery to it at all, really. It's just, just written out with, you know, four parts. And we'd all take it home and learn, learn our part. And, and then, you know, mm. play it a couple of times and then do it on a gig, perhaps with music. Uh, and, and latterly, we wouldn't, we, we never had music, you know. It just, but when it's in the brain, it's, you know, it, it, it's stuck there. Um, and I, I, th I think, uh, I mean, I, I should say, I think it's something which is a really great thing for people to do is to, le to learn music from memory. Because it, it takes away the visual thing, it takes away one of your senses. So um, you're not reliant on, on that sense. And so you, you hear, you listen much more to the other musicians. So you can imagine if you're playing the same stuff gig after gig, you know, obviously it, it just becomes, it's all just like muscle. Muscle memory, yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I, I can really highly recommend uh, learning music from, from memory. I wish it was sort of pushed from right from the start. Because I know my, my initial learning was or was without music and I felt very comfortable just playing what I heard. And then you get into your tuner days and your other methods and you suddenly you're, you're linked to this piece of sheet music in front of you. Yes, it, it, it is a drag actually. And I, I still suffer from that now. I mean, I, I really don't play as much as I used to at all. You know, quite, I, I didn't learn all the jazz tunes really. And so, so somebody says, oh, let's play X, Y, Z, I have to quickly get out of the real book and, and have a look at it. And I think that um, also this, this whole thing about, about, um, about le learning music, just, I see it's just liberating. And I, I think a lot of the, the technical way of, of learning music colleges does, I don't want to be divisive here, but I think that a lot of teaching is in the classical world about, about just playing exactly what's on the page, on the page and, obsessing about every everything which is there which i you know you, you have to be accurate obviously but um i, I think sometimes if, if you switch the light off and play it mm -hmm. it sounds different somehow and what's lovely is that you've got you you started writing sort of world music like your musical postcards which is one of my favorite books of all time introduce people to different genres and it's fantastic oh, well thanks very much yeah i bet the um you mentioned musical postcards. That that's a, a, a book for I was going to say kids, I and mean, it's it's a it's a low, medium low to medium standard book. And I had this idea to um, do lots of music from all around the world because I've been lucky enough to go around the world and soak up lots of lots of different styles. And I'm particularly into to Latin music. And um, I just had this idea. Hey, what I do a play along CD uh, so the kids can get to play with you know really good musicians and. There's this band called Iracere, Iracere, from Cuba, who, uh, seminal band, uh, all have to check it out, Iracere. Uh, they um, sort of fused jazz with, with Cuban rhythms and classical music and the whole bit. And they're all absolute uh, virtuosi. And so several of the members of the band went, went off to become uh, real players in, in their own right. Arturo Sandoval, the famous trumpet player, and um, oh, what's the same sax player? Come to me in a second. Um, anyway, they were they were playing at Ronnie Scott's one night, and I went in and, and met them. And they all ended up coming back for Sunday lunch, which um, I'll tell you, if you bring a load of starving Cubans back to, for Sunday lunch <laughs> back in the eighties, <laughs> they had big appetites. 
you know, but I, that, that's an awful thing to say, but um, no, they're, they're really such good musicians, really, really nice guys. And I, and I got to hang out with them. So I said, hey, would you mind if, if you did a recording session for me so I can play, you know, do these tunes that kids can play along with? And they were well up for it. And so um, we did that. And, um, and then I, I just thought, hey, this sounds really great. You know, kids get to play a tune with Ira Carey backing them, you know. And so I did it with quite a few other people, got some really nice um, folk musicians together and all that kind of stuff. And made, made this album, it's not an album, it's, it's a book of music with a play along CD called Musical Postcards from around the world. Not just for kids, Mike. I played it so much. Have you? I did it in so many concerts. People loved the music. And I did it a lot in schools as well. The kids, kids in schools loved it, but also audiences. Fantastic music. Well, that's nice to hear. And um, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't like listening to those those kind of musicians <laughs> playing? I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, you can put the music, put the CD on and just listen to the, these incredible musicians playing on their own. Yeah, I, you know, I'm very proud of that. Actually, I think it was one one of the you know one of the earlier, if not one of the, I wouldn't say it's the first. I mean, there's there's been a lot of play along albums, but to actually have musicians of that caliber to, to play along with it was, was you know it's a big feat that I'm, I'm quite proud of actually to get, to get them to you should be I think it was a turning point it was the first one of the first sort of play along books that was accessible but educational and fun um it was a it was a a, a turning point I think in the flute world well thank you very much ah for me for me Mike it was finger busters <laughs> For me, that, that was the one. That was it was the uh, it was a bugger of a piece that was put up for the German Flute Society flute competition, wasn't it? That's right. It was indeed. I remember that. They, you, you you put the music out and there was no backing track. You had to learn the music and you got the backing track at the last minute, didn't you? I think so. Yeah. It was on a cassette. Yes, cassette. Yes, the one. Yeah. <laughs> I still have it. Explain what cassette is. <laughs> That book is wonderful. Still is. It's timeless. Oh, well, thanks very much. Well, that, that's the other end of the scale because uh, Musical Postcards was was fa fairly simple. But yeah, we, oh God, finger busters it was. It was really, really difficult. I mean, I think I overdid it, really. The <laughs> difficult mistakes. What was really funny is that I, I, got the, I, got, I remember getting the book. And I thought it was fantastic. And then I put the, the cassette on and there was the slow speed and a fast speed. Yes. <laughs> and I couldn't play the slow speed, it was so fast. It took me hours. It doesn't help with the cassette player either, because they never play at the right speed anyway, do they? No, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think well, actually what happened to the competition was quite funny. We um, A lot of people had sort of got the music and they, they were turned up, but nobody wanted to actually play. Anyway, I, I conned them and I got people up to play it and, and somebody won in the end, I can't remember who it was. And they got an Albert Cooper Hebb joint. Mm. How about that? Because... Um, I, used to, I lived in Clapham at the time, and, and um, uh, Clapham's a, an area of London, and uh, Albert was just around the corner, and I used to go and see him occasionally, and uh, I told him about this, and I played him the Finger Busters thing. I said, any chance, you know, you might want to give something? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll give a head joint. So that was really generous of him. That was under my, my, under my own um, publishing company, mm -hmm. Itchy Fingers Publications, because the musical postcard thing was for Boozy and Hawks put that out. But um, mo mostly, I, I do things on my on my own, my own company, and uh, yeah, I, I I realized that even though Fingerbusters was was out there, not you know, it's a, the more difficult things are, the less you're going to sell of them. <laughs> so I found, I, I thought I, I I really struggled to play the, the the damn thing, so and you know, a lot of people did. So it, it became a kind of like a like a, a macho thing to, to play this thing. But I decided after that, hey, come on, let's let's write something that's actually playable. And so I, I uh, every time I write something now, I, I, I make you know I'm, I'm very wary, of, uh, you know, very mindful of, of the difficulty, because there's no point in writing a piece which is accessible and playable. And all of a sudden, you've got to be, be a bit that does that, and it's un unplayable. I've, I've made that mistake a few times actually. Yeah, try and make it accessible and playable. I remember the um, your third flute sonata, which I commissioned from you. Of course you did. Yes. That was very difficult. <laughs> And, and wonderful. You played it beautifully. Was it uh, played it in St John's Miss Square? Yeah, that was the first performance. Yeah, yeah, great piece. Well, thank you. I mean, that, I, I was you know privileged to, to do it for you. And and what's I'll tell you what's really nice is be, is being commissioned by people that can play properly. Mm -hmm. You know, 
And, and there's, there's nothing nicer than, you know, if you write something, yeah, I, I know Claire, she can handle this. And of course she did, you breathe through it, you know. I like the, I mean, I really like the challenge, but didn't, you won a prize with that, didn't you? The NFA New Music, didn't you? Published yeah, Music? I think you did, yeah. I, I, was, I was lucky enough to win quite a few of those, actually. It's the new, new, new music, um, newly published music competition. Newly published music. Yeah, I had a few of those, but... Uh, well, yeah. I think if any of our listeners haven't looked at your your latest sonatas, is there, I don't think there's one after the third, is there? Or is there? Um, is there? No, I, I kind of stopped it. I, I haven't done an awful lot like that for the flute recently. I mean, I, I did I did some, I diversified, I did some for clarin, stuff for clarinet and, uh, and oboe and bassoon as well. I've <clears throat> written sonatas for them. Funny enough, I have got, actually got a piece that I've written... Um, Oh, about four or five years ago, it was just sitting somewhere in 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 bytes in my computer, you know, the zeros and ones somewhere, which is a piece uh, a, a, kind of like a Sonata Latino number two. Uh, oh, yeah, I just I never got around to. Oh well, I, I think everyone listening now will get very very excited, Mike, and ask you to put all the bits together. What I would like to do is get somebody to actually play it because you know these 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 days it's all about. You know, we don't earn money out of music anymore, do we? We just put things on YouTube, mm. and and it would be nice to to get <clears throat> get somebody, you know, some cracking young player to to, to play play this. Um, and uh, yeah, quite like to, do, to to get someone to do that. I wonder uh, if you could get it offered as a as a set piece for a a, a competition in one of in one of the conservatoires, like at the academy. They might be quite interested to hear from you. Oh, Mike also wrote the piece for alto flute when we actually made our first alto flute all those years ago. Sonnets, absolutely that's beautiful. Yeah, oh, thanks. Yeah, there's two two lyrical pieces for mm. alto flute commissioned by Trevor James mm. for for his alto flute, and uh, it's a very nice thing for him to do. Actually, I think he he, he the first five hundred people that, that bought the alto flute got got a free copy of the music with it or something, which, which was a very nice nice thing to do. And uh, yeah, I think people people still play it now and again. I think. Yeah, I heard it a couple of weeks oh, ago. Actually, yeah. Actually, I mean, I've just you know, talk about hot off the press. There's there's a great player from uh, from Poland called Elzbieta Wolenska. Oh yeah. You guys guys know her? Yeah, she's on I've Instagram. Yeah. Yep, yeah, I've never I've never met, met her in person, but she's she commissioned me to write a piece for flute and piano, uh, which was going to be played in Ljubljana. The, uh, the the flute festival this year was in May. She was going to perform it in, in at the flute festival, which of course COVIDly COVIDly mm. didn't happen. So I've written her this this piece of flute and piano, which uh, hopefully she's going to to record, you know, put, put out for everyone to see soon. So that's uh, she's she's a terrific player. Yeah, and, she uh, is. I'm excited to hear that. It's written written for flute uh, flute and piano, but I, I'm going to add a bass and drums. I thought I might do one of these. Sort of, Shut down, you know, lockdown pieces, recordings with 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 four people. I just got to get get off my ass and do it. Really. <laughs> What's your process for writing, Mike? Do you hear it, or does it just come when you start? Yeah, I, I don't really know how to answer that. I think <clears throat> I, I tend to sort of start noodling around with ideas. If I if it's a flute, I'll have a flute in my hands and uh, write something down. And um, I, I actually quite like the idea of form. Okay. I think computer composers were so lucky back in the days of sonata form because it's, it's like a template is there and you just slot some music into it and you've got yourself a symphony or a concerto. It's much more difficult now where you can do anything from, you know, well, any, anything, basically. Anything goes. So I think to answer that, I, I do tend to sort of, um, I start writing it on paper and then I, it ends up going into, into logic and... Um, which is a sort of love-hate relationship with logic because it you play it back to yourself and think that's oh, not quite right first, but after you've heard it a couple of times, you're you're kind of um, you're lying to yourself. You know, you 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 start believing your own publicity. <laughs> you know, whereas if you if you just write something on a piece of paper, look at it and think, ooh, hear it in your head, yeah, that's okay, I'll leave it. And you, uh, but when you're doing it on a computer, you, you hear it back time and time, and something you didn't like in the first place, you start to like. Sometimes I've I've done that. And I've written a piece. And I've come, gone away for a week and come back and listen to it. So oh, what a load of rubbish, you know. Or I, or I can or I can hear hear where it needs to be changed. Should I say something like that? So so it's a bit of a hybrid way of doing it. First, you know, playing live, then notating it maybe on 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 paper, and then putting it into logic. 
I try not to do it on the computer straight away because it, it, it takes the, the life and breath out of it really a bit, I think. But it all has to end up on there and it all has to end up on Finale or, you know, you know I, I use Finale a lot. Obviously, a lot of people use use other things, you know, like Sibelius and that. But um, put it all on there. Because as, as, as a musician these days, especially if you, if you write your own music, you, you, you have to be everything. You, can, you have to be the copyist, you have to be the Absolutely. engraver, the, 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 whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Whereas in the old days, when I was doing, doing some stuff for the BBC, you just write it on a score, pencil, and hand it off, and the copyist copied it all out. It was, ah. Oh. And um, more, you know, more money for more people, and, and it added more, more time to compose rather than having to, you know, make it all look beautiful on the page. But, so how would you describe your style? Is it describable? I don't know, really. I mean, I hybrid, I, I don't I really don't know. I, I, like, I, I like writing music, which sounds as if it's improvised, but okay. putting it down on paper for, for people like yourself. Like me, who can't improvise. Okay, but, but to write, hopefully to write something that sounds as if it might, might have been improvised on the spot, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, which was- uh, say, there's, there's a lot of fun in your music. You know, it's a, it's a lovely mix of classic and jazz and fun. I mean, it's really fun to play. Thank you, thank you. I mean, yes, I'm I'm a big advocate of that. I mean, I don't know whether whether I'm uh, people say I'm a miserable bastard in life. But um, <laughs> they just can't read me properly. Yes, I I, I enjoy this. I enjoy music, which is fun. Which is not to say that I haven't written some some doer pieces as well. But uh, I think I've written a lot, a lot of stuff that perhaps people in the flute world wouldn't wouldn't know. As, as well you know I guess you know we all, we all kind of know what we know and a, a lot of the flute stuff that I write is is fun stuff yes I think but um hopefully there's a bit of depth to it as well you know a yeah. lot of you know a lot of classical players when they're studying or those that be listening to us here they're afraid to improvise they're afraid to break away from dots those blobs on the sheet what's yeah. the what's the first step in other words you did it by listening to jazz didn't you Mike but I think it's the same for everyone. Just listen to things. I think really what, what you could do is um, really nice thing to do is just put on the on the, the radio or your digital device and spin through lots of different stations and just play along with it. Why not? I mean, you know, you can do it in the dark even even better. So you're not looking at anything. So you're really forced to listen. And funny enough, you know, when you take away that sense, your your ears you'd be surprised at how much you can hear. I think that that's quite a nice idea to just play along with anything. Mm. See if you can pick out the tune in, you know, any style, whatever it might could be, you know, it could be a piece of classical music or, you know, country or, you know, any, anything. Uh, just any kind of music on, on a radio station, just try and play along with it. And once you start doing that, you start getting the pitch, the pitch and intervals. It's all about, about pitch. You can hear that. It's a funny thing about pitch because uh, I don't have perfect pitch yet. If I hear a flute playing on 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 radio or anything, I know exactly what key it's in. I heard some sym a Brahms symphony the other day, or it wasn't Brahms, I don't know who it was. But as soon as you hear the flute, I can tell you what key it's in. Bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. But, and and I think that um, you know people that don't have per perfect pitch like me, I think that just when you play along with things, you know, literally have that thing in your hand all the time, whether it's a flute, saxophone, or or whatever and you 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 tease that pitch out that, that's there and the interval get the interval right they're doing it's it's so good for the brain it's like it's stretching your your your, your oral perception and, uh, and i think and that's the beginning of it of, of improvising really i think because you find a tonal center when, when you're when you're listening when, you, when you're playing to a piece of music that isn't yours you, you find out that it's in d minor or whatever and then you kind of feel that you know you, you start noodling around a d minor and because most of the music we tend to listen to is, is diatonic. So uh, playing with other people is, is the, the start. I mean, I, I've, I've been asked to write books on improvisation, but it's kind of almost self-defeating because if you write it down and say, well, here's a chord of, of, of G7, try playing something like this. They won't play something like this. They'll play that yes. if, if, you've, if you've actually written it on, on the page. Yeah. And so it's, it's um, um, I, I've written. I, I have a book which I've written about twenty years ago, all about improvising. But I've never brought it out because I, I assumed that uh, you know, it wouldn't catch on. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe you should. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send it to you. You have a look at it. See what you think. 
So do you think the uh, academies, I know this is it's quite contentious, but do you think because music academies and colleges around the world just totally focus on classical music and classical studies and orchestral excerpts, that they're missing a trick by not bringing in other genres, especially bearing in mind the youth coming through now? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if, if they do. Maybe our perception is wrong. You know, we oldies. I mean, uh, I think that there is... There is uh, the world is opening up a bit, I think. And I mean, I'm not, I couldn't, again, as I say, I, I don't go a lot to, I have in the past been to a lot of academies and and, and, and uh, done various uh, workshops on that. But I, I do find that the, the ears are opening up actually. So I'm not sure whether that's quite so, strictly so true. Certainly not as true as it was when I went, went to the academy. But I think, yes, I, I think it's absolutely essential if you have a department that is very close like that to, to broaden its outlook, because I think we all, I mean, how, you know, if we're in this to try and make a living and you can only just play what's on the page, you know, and if you do a little bit of improvising or something, that's gonna, okay, you're not gonna all of a sudden become a famous improviser, but it, it's, it becomes a little bit more employable. And also the, the other thing is I think things like this as well. This is called a clarinet. And uh, I think there's a saxophone in there. So bring up the, uh, the, 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 the filthy world of doubling. Yeah. which I think is very, very important. I mean, I wouldn't be here now. I wouldn't have a roof over my head if I didn't double because it enabled me to be much more employable, really. And I think that, um, I mean, we could sort of go on to this again, which is sometimes a bit contentious. You, you do get some people who, who play play their, uh, you know, play the flute and say, right, if you play somebody else, it'll ruin your embouchure. Well, yeah, it will for the, for the first few days and, and weeks. But once you once you start, because you haven't learned how to do it, when when you kind of re, you know realize it's a completely discrete thing, then the the embouchures don't get in the way of each other, and um, I, I tend to find it's the people who are most adamant about not doing it, who've never actually tried it themselves. You know, if you haven't tried it, how do you know you don't, you don't like it? But I mean, it's, it's not just that. I think I think it really it opens up more worlds of of of, of music and and of musicality and. Um, and you start thinking a different way when you play on different instruments. I, mean, I, I, I started playing the bass guitar not that long ago, about, about 10 years ago. And I, I just love it. Um, and um, I thought, well, you know, I'm an old guy. But I've always wanted to play the bass, so just pick it up and learn it. And something like the bass guitar, which is, in its rudimentary sense, is quite an easy, play, easy instrument to play and becomes more difficult the, more, the better you get, obviously. And something like that has completely opened up my... Uh, my world of, of music and listen the way I listen to things I, I can hear here when you start playing bass lines you can actually hear where things are going in a, in a different way you would do if, you, if you're play, playing a melodic line across the top you hear things more horizontally rather rather than vertically rather rather, rather than horizontally I agree 18 months ago I bought an acoustic guitar right I started to learn hellishly difficult and I was thinking I think everyone should probably start with guitar I mean because you, you just have a sense of harmony that you don't get with flute. Yeah, yeah I mean, totally right. I mean, I, I, I keep telling myself I should do that. Um, I, I don't know why I haven't. Everybody should play the guitar. They, they don't cost anything. You know, we're, we're so lucky these days to be able to, you, you can get yourself a cheap acoustic guitar. Everybody should should do that. If you only just learn to play four or five chords, again, you can, and then you can sit along and, 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 try and work out which key it is and, and chonk along with it. No, absolutely agree. But it is it is it difficult though that the older you are to actually learn new things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> old, dog, old dogs, new tricks. Yeah, that. it's very frustrating. Yeah, um, you know what it should sound like. Yeah, but you can't actually physically get it to to right. to work. But it's good um, good. so why can't I? You know, <laughs> but yeah. it's great fun. It's great fun. It's, it's keeping yeah. it's keeping the child's brain, isn't it? Trying to be childlike when you're learning it, with that innocence of just going yeah. for it. Yeah, but the younger you are, the more flexible your brain is, and it's so much easier to do things. It's like learning a language, isn't it? I mean, you get multilingual kids that mm -hmm. you know growing up from birth, they don't even think about it; they just do it, don't they? I suppose there's, there's probably people of all all ages watching your show, and I'm sure that varying degrees of, of difficulty that, that they'll find to do things like that. But I don't think we should ever stop. Are you still watching the night sky, Mike? Yeah, I do a bit. But you're you're a, a fellow. Uh, yes. I was yeah. in my youth. I was years ago, but uh, I haven't done it for a few years. But I remember you really yeah. keen. 
Yeah, I, I had an eight, eight inch reflector as well. Uh, and when I, was, when I was at school, when I was on my own, I actually made a four inch re, re, uh, reflector. I, I bought two pieces of, um, of, of, of glass, two blank mirrors, and you put carborundum powder on it and you, and you grind yourself a mirror oh. and you silver it with silver nitrate, put it in a tube. I, I, did, <laughs> I did all that. It's, um, it's, it's really quite fun. But yeah, astronomy is something that I've, I've always been interested in. But like you, I've not I've not done it of late. I just occasionally go out in the night sky and just mm. think, oh, my God, there it is again. So, what have you? What's the most recent thing you've written? Well, that that's the, the piece for oh no, okay, I did a piece for uh, Elzbieta Volenska. I also did a, a little um, little big band piece recent, recently for uh, um, uh, for a, for a guy who teaches at Wells Wells Cathedral School, uh, Ed Leaker. Mm-hmm. And he, he's got a band called Swing Machine, a big band, and uh, he asked me to write a piece for it called Swing Machine. And so I, I did, and um, all the guys recorded it in, in you know, lockdown screen thing. And that came out a couple of weeks ago. For and how have you coped in lockdown? I, I haven't really noticed much difference, really, because um, I've been renovating a house at the moment. And so every waking moment is, is doing that. M- music is very much... At the bottom of the list of things to do because I've, I've, I, this this big old house that's uh, used to be it's been my family for 102 years believe it or not. Wow. And, uh, my my parents um, died a, a, a two or three years ago, and so I've I've sort of taken on this poison chalice of this this big old Georgian house to uh, to renovate, and so I've been doing that for about two years, and uh, I've got another three or four to go, I reckon. <laughs> wow. So, I've, I, I mean, I actually really quite enjoy it. I've, I've always been quite practical. My dad was a, um, he was a, 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 a metalwork teacher at school. And uh, when I was a kid, we didn't have a television. And we just had this workshop down the basement. I used to go down there and do things. And I made myself musical instruments, actually. I made a start off with a xylophone and uh, made a guitar and a, uh, and a clarinet. I made a, a five-key clarinet on, on a lathe. And uh, anyway, so I, I kind of learned the practical skills. And if I didn't, go, if I didn't get to music college, I, was, I wanted to become a musical instrument maker. But uh, but these days, I, I just do plumbing and rewiring and things like that. Very talented, Mike. Well, it's needs much. I mean, you know, music is a very different, difficult, difficult profession, as we all know, to earn a living. And uh, so what I what I've done side by side is I've when I got my, I bought my first flat, first apartment in London. Uh, it was pretty pretty dilapidated, and, and I renovated it. And uh, then I moved to another house and, and let it out, and renovated another house. Mm-hmm. And so you know, whilst and and that you know, if you if you put the hours in yourself into renovating something, I built a studio up on <clears throat> on a Victorian house, went up and up a story, and did that. So I've, I've I've this is something I do sort of parallel to my music is is sort of renovating houses and. Um, it, it creates you know a bit of an income stream you know if, if you you know sell it we want the next one and all that kind of thing so that that's my other main main hobby really it was my only like a living really just uh, you know renovating and but I, I quite enjoy it you know it's uh, well it's good, it's good to have other interests isn't it I mean I think that's what keeps your creativity fresh mm. um, so I think it's 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 all good but at the moment I'm getting quite excited about your sonata Latina number two that you said Latina. to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, Latina number two. Yeah, well, it's in there. Yeah, it's it's in, it's it's pretty much in the, in the in the book. We'll have to get someone together. When you said Tina, because I, I I used to play with Tina Turner. I, I, I know, seen in your information, fantastic. That must have been an incredible experience. Yeah, that's when I was young and beautiful. I to, <laughs> not for very long. I just did a couple of tours with her when she was in the UK, and I, I played saxophone in her band. That was that was great fun. Yeah, I used, I used to play with. Um, a few other bands like there's there was a guy called Paul Weller oh, style yeah. character. He's still around. Yeah, yeah, and I played with Bjork as well. She was great. I played on, I played on her first album actually, the one uh, debut, the one which kind of made made her you know, made her name really. And she there was some really weird diverse music on that, and uh, I did arrangements for her on that. And I played baritone saxophone on a few tunes as well. Are there the two wonderful albums you did with Jimmy Galway? Yeah, that was that was great fun. Yeah, got to, got to go to Jimmy's house, and uh, that was back in the days when record companies had a bit of money, mm. and uh, he he was with BMG, I think it was, and um, 
he, Jimmy said he wanted to record Sonata Latino, and so he, he did a uh, like a, a Latin tinged album with a piece I call I, I wrote called uh, Oversted Jazz as well. He recorded that, and I and the record company asked me to arrange a few few other uh, Latin pop boilers, you know, so like the Gulf of Ipanema and um, San Maduro and Spain, the Chick Corea Spain. That's yep. quite fun. And Jimmy played it really well. And, and I got all the kind of the A team jazzers in London to, to play it. And that, that was that was such, such fun doing that. It's a great album. If people haven't heard it, it it's you have to go and listen to it. It's called, what was the title? It was, um... It's called Tango del Fuego. Yep. Yeah. Tango del Fuego. Yeah. And then after we did that, shortly after that, they, uh, the, the record company asked me to do another album for Jimmy with, with covers, like uh, pop song covers. Oh, that was that was that was great. I mean, they were because I, I had a whole orchestra at, at uh, basically they said, "Here's a chunk of money. I won't tell you how much. It's embarrassing uh, to to just make a really nice album." And so I I, I started off with uh, you know that um, they told me which, which songs they want they wanted to do like Lion King and and various other other tunes, and um, so I arranged that and went went to the studio and got Jimmy to play with uh, the rhythm section and it was all written out and everything. And then I added an orchestra on top of it. We were, there I was in, in studio number one in, in, Abbeville, in, in, in Abbey Road, conducting, you know. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was one of the, one of the high points. That was so nice. And so we made this very lush, lush album. And- uh, It is lush, it's Don't wonderful. Break, Don't Break My Heart, is that what it's called, the album? Some, I can't remember, but- uh, yeah, Unchained was... Melody, no. Uh, unbreak, unbreak my heart. Unbreak my heart. Yeah. Break my heart. Yeah, that was it. that was it. Hmm. Again, I mean, I I don't know if anybody really has really heard it, but uh, yeah, I was I, I, that was really nice, and worked with Jimmy very closely, and uh, and uh, that was that was really good fun. That that was cool. That was back at the turn of the millennium, I think that was. Mike, I mean, your your career has been really fantastic. It's been so diverse. It's been so many different aspects to it to it and and all so successful well thank you i have a lot of spare time as well as, as we all <laughs> <laughs> so um it's it's, it's nice it's nice for you to say that um i do i do like doing different things actually last year i did a really nice project actually it was for quite locally actually for the my hometown in bath it's called the bath society of young musicians and, and they it was their 50th anniversary they commissioned me to write a piece uh, uh, about the city of Bath, and so I did three three movements about it, and uh, it was just so nice to have a, for a school orchestra mm. and and uh, and and choir. I wrote the lyrics as well, which was quite fun. And so there were three so three programmatic things. The last one was Bath Rugby. Yes. There was, there was like rap about Bath Rugby, which was quite fun. And so that that was that was a terrific thing to do. And what I tried to do with that with because obviously that you get some good good better musicians in the sixth form that could play quite well. But I, I wrote an, another score, just worked for, for, you know, kids who haven't been playing very long, up to sort of grade, grade two or three. So had lots of string parts that were just doing that underneath it, whilst the, the other, other ones were playing playing more. It's quite quite a challenge that actually, to, to, to make a piece that actually works for different ability groups. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was really good fun. Well. I'm I'm so grateful that you've come. You've shared all this with us. Um, it's it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I'm always I'm always up for doing new projects, you know, and uh, you know it's um, anything. And uh, I've, I'm, actually, I haven't really. I, I did write a flute concerto, but I, uh, that was for, for the flute and wind band, and uh, which which was it's been played quite a lot. And uh, yes. Lisa Garner Santa was a lovely lady. She she played it terrifically. She she. She commissioned me to do that, but I've always always, always fancied doing one for the real orchestra because I, I like writing for strings as well. So, well, anybody listening who would uh, like a, a new flute concerto, hey, um, Mike Chipman. Are we allowed to do plugs? Yes, go <laughs> yes. on. Go on. <laughs> yeah. I want to write a flute concerto. So, actually, a really good way of, of funding something like that is is what Lisa did uh, in the states. They they got a consortium or consortium of universities together. Where, yep. and they all decide and they all say hey yeah we'd, we'd like to be part of this project and they and they all contribute which is great because it means they can they can pay the composer yeah uh, you know, a, a proper fee and they, they all get to perform it in their in their own state or the, with their own university and that so really, really great way of um 
of, of commissioning new music and uh, universities in the States are, are terrific mm -hmm. at that. Uh, well, we have a lot of listen listeners in the States, so maybe um, some, of, some of them could uh, start making inquiries and see what they can come up with, because that would be great to have a full orchestra con flute concerto. Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice to do, certainly. Where can they find you? Um, well, my, my publication is called Itchy, Itchy Fingers Publications, is where I'm at. But I'm also, I'm also on Facebook. You can just Mike, Mike Moore, you should find, find me on there on Facebook. But yeah, I sell my music online, Itchy Fingers Publications. Yeah, it's just f Facebook is, is the, the go-to thing these days, I think. You know, I'm always happy to speak to people about anything. You know, it's, it's not, not just about that, you know. As long as it's funny and not political. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a version to, to politics on, 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 uh, on, on Facebook, so I'll, I'll say that here and now. Don't, don't hit me with politics. <laughs> No, no, steer clear of my it, 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 It's musical or funny. That's that's my my diet. Okay. Well, let's let's hope some commissions come in because it'd be good to to get a flute concert. It'd be wonderful. Oh well, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, but uh, okay. it's, been, it's been really great to speak to you and to see you as well. You're looking very well. Oh, thank you. Yes. Saw the seaside air. Yes. <laughs> where, where are you? In Brighton and Hove. In Brighton. And yeah. Where are you, John? Uh, Tunbridge Wells. Tunbridge Wells. Mm. Disgusted of Tunbridge Wells, oh, yes. they say. Yes, no yeah, politics yeah. here either. No, I'm quite right too. <laughs> okay, well, it's been great to talk to you. Yeah, and, you uh, maybe do this again soon. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure. Nice to see you both. Right. Okay. Uh, great to see you, and thank you all for listening this week to Talking Flutes with Claire and Mike. Next week, I return with Talking Flutes Extra. So until then. Wishing you a great week ahead and may your top C be especially in tune. Goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.